All right, we are in the fifth and final uh, lesson of This I Believe. And this message has to do with the Christian code of conduct. Back during Korea, a lot of Americans were taken prisoners by the North Koreans and a new concept of brainwashing took effect. And following their release, it was decided that a code of conduct needed to be determined for how prisoners would conduct themselves. And so six different uh, codes were, were uh, uh, developed. Well, what I, I use that as a springboard to talk about the Christian code of conduct. What we need to do as Christians, if we're going to follow the biblical direction, remember in the first of these five lessons, we talked about the Bible being the basis of our beliefs. This is the, the point from which we go to get the solid foundation of what we need to do, our conduct, and our, uh, and our beliefs for, uh, for what God wants us to do. Sola Scriptura. This is the only basis of our beliefs, and that includes the conduct, and today we talk about the conduct. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 11 is the text, and it talks about the second coming of Christ, but it would also refer to if you die before Christ comes back. If we die, we, it's talking about the fact that you'll come face to face with Christ. If Christ comes back, it applies. If we die first and then we're face to face with Christ, it applies. And then it goes down to the second part of verse 11, which says, What kind of people ought you to be? It says, You ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to live holy and godly lives. I had a dental appointment in Fairfax, Virginia. It had snowed seven or eight inches the night before. My dental appointment was early in the morning. And so when I pulled into the parking lot beside the building that I was going to, there were no tracks or anything there. It was, it was still very, very clear. And so I pulled in, I got out of my car and stepped into the snow and snow came into my shoes and I slushed through the snow. It was a wet snow that day and I went up to the, around the corner and into the front door of the dentist's office and just really did get cold and wet feet that morning. And as I walked in, the only other person in the lobby of the dentist's office was a young girl about 10 or 11 years old. And uh, uh, I struck up a conversation with her and I said, I'll bet you got your shoes full of snow too when you came in because my feet are cold. And she said, no, I didn't. And I said, how did you keep from it? And she said, I stepped in my mama's footprints. I thought, sermon right there. <laughs> I thought, if somebody steps in your footprints, where will it lead them? If somebody spends their life walking in my footprints, will I lead them in a good place or will it be a mess? What kind of a place will I lead them? Let's think about living godly lives. 
The conduct that we have begins with what we think about. It begins with thoughts. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. What do you read? What do you look at? What do you watch? What kind of language do you use? What do you think about? As you think in your heart, so are you. What does the Bible say we should think about? Well, let's take a look. Proverbs 17:22 says, "A cheerful heart is good medicine." You know the guy on PBS that teaches you how to paint? The guy with the with the Brillo head? Yeah. Well, back before him, there was a fellow with a German accent. And he was really good. We loved to watch him. And this is decades ago. And, and uh, he spoke with a real pronounced German accent. And uh, he would say while he was painting, sink happy thoughts. Sink happy thoughts. Oh, yeah. And so when my boys would fuss with each other, we would say, okay, guys, sink happy thoughts. They got tired here and sink happy thoughts. But that was kind of a nifty thing. And that goes to this verse of Scripture. Sink happy thoughts. That's what we need to be doing is cheerful. Sink happy, think, think happy thoughts. Proverbs 17, 22. So a cheerful heart. That's the kind of stuff we need to be thinking. Ephesians 4, 32 is another guide for what we need to be thinking about. Ephesians 4, 32 says, be kind. You've heard from that from me before. Be kind and compassionate to one another. The way I put it is default to kindness. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be kind. You don't know what the other person is going through. Just start out being kind. Third, a perfect guideline to think about is laid out in Philippians 4, 8. A guy I know found a porn magazine in his son's room, and he got that porn magazine and ripped the middle of it out and threw it away. And then he copied off Philippians 4, 8 and taped it to the cover that was left and then put it back in the same place. And Philippians 4, 8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, how could you look at that verse of Scripture and go ahead and open up a porn magazine? Nuh-uh. Those are the kinds of things we need to be thinking about. Our conduct, the Christian code of conduct, begins with what we think about. What do you spend your time where are your thoughts? What do you spend your time thinking about? So conduct begins with thoughts. Thoughts develop into attitudes. 
The things you spend thinking about develop into the kind of attitudes you have in life. In Matthew 22, 36 to 40, a Pharisee lawyer asked Jesus, very familiar passage, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what does Jesus say our attitude should be? Well, the first thing he says, love the Lord. That means that long-lasting love is a matter of the will. It's a choice. You can choose to love or you can choose not to love. A man can't stand his wife. So he goes to his friend, the lawyer, and he says, I want to divorce my wife. I want you to help me. His friend, the lawyer, says, okie dokie. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and we're going to build this case, you know. I want to kind of make it look right. So I want you to go home and treat her like you love her for the next three months. Y'all could finish this story, right? I want you to go home and treat her like you love her for the next three months and document her reactions. So at the end of three months, he comes back to see his lawyer and said, you know, it's amazing how much she's changed. I don't think we need to go through with this. You can choose to love. Love is an attitude. It's a choice. The first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with our attitude toward God. We need to love the Lord our God and have an attitude of love toward God. What are some of the evidences that we have a loving attitude toward God? Well, I've got five evidences here that we have that loving attitude. If we love Him with all our heart, we will have deep gratitude toward God. We will be so, have such gratitude, be so thankful to him. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 talks about it. Verse 17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or, do, or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Giving thanks to God. Have an attitude of gratitude. Isn't that good? An attitude of gratitude toward God. Let your attitude be one of thank you, God. That's one way that you know that you love God if you're grateful to him. Another way that you know that you love God is if you have regular conversation with him. How could you Love somebody that you don't have regular conversation with. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Just keep on talking to it. Have, oh, Zeke and Zelda have been married a long, long time. They didn't talk a lot. Didn't feel like they needed to. Now they've gotten old. Mostly they just sit on the rocking chairs on the front porch. Finally, Zeke turned to Zelda and he said, 
I'm proud of you. Zelda looked at him and said, yeah, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> Maybe some communication along the way would have helped. Keeping communication up helps to experience love, doesn't it? So if you communicate with God a lot, that's one way that you know that you love him is because you keep on talking. Just keep the communication, positive communication up. Keep on communicating. A love relationship requires conversation. Third, patient trust in him. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding. This is a big deal. Trusting in the Lord. No matter how fiery the trials, no matter how deep the griefs, no matter how severe our pain or how unexplainable his ways are, God knows what he's doing. God knows. We can trust God. Don't go back on God and say, God, why are you so mean to me? God's not mean to you. God loves you. If God is running you through trials, trust God. He knows what he's doing. Call out to him because he loves you. Oh, God, what do I need to learn here? I learned a long time ago. I don't say to God, why did you do that? The only reason I ask God why is so that he can tell me what lessons I need to learn through the things that I'm going through. Oh, God, teach me. Show me. Patient trust in him. Then fourth, humble submission to him. James 4, 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Be submissive to him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What is that? How does that match with sink happy thoughts, huh? Well, this is talking about when you have put your, the back of your head to God. This is saying it's time for you to get down on your knees and say, Oh God, I'm so sorry. And put God in his rightful place. Submission to him. And he will lift you up. There may be a time when you need to kiss concrete. When God says... Hey, you're going to have to get down here and wallow in the, in the mire for a while so that I can lift you up. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up, putting your cares on him, because he careth for you. Humble yourselves before God. Submit to him. Then fifth, desire to obey him. You want to obey him. When you find out, when you see, when you have revealed to you what God wants you to do, then you want to obey him. How do you know what God wants you to do? Well, you start here. You start praying. 
You start looking at the circumstances in life as you commit them to God. And you start talking to godly people whom you trust and ask them how it all fits together and see what God wants you to do. But primarily here and in your prayer life. As Jesus was saying, Luke 11, 27, 28, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey. He wants you to obey. Those are some evidences that we love God because we have uh, gratitude, conversation, submission, obedience, and trust. Christian code of conduct not only involves loving God, but it also involves loving others. John 15, 12, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So how do we do that? Well, I just never could love that person. As I said a while ago, it's a choice that you make. Some people are pretty unlovely. You can love them anyway through God. I may not have the strength to love that person on my own, but I can love them. I can commit them to God. God, you can love them through me. You can decide to love or God would have never commanded us to do it. Here's what you do. First of all, remove selfishness from our lives. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Put yourselves second. Remember the old hymn, others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live for thee. Others. Put others first. Remove selfishness. Want good for others. Luke 6.27 says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good for those who hate you. Sometimes these are pretty hard to do, aren't they? But that's what it says right here. It's what Jesus did. Is he our role model? Oh, yeah. Do what Jesus did. Do good for others. And then, here's the biggie. Desire to see them saved. You want to see others saved. Romans 10, 15 says, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the greatest expression of love that you can have, is to tell others how to be saved. And that is the greatest commandment we have, is to tell others how to be saved. The Christian code of conduct results in people getting saved. It's our responsibility to make sure that we are available and useful to Jesus Christ so that people get saved. Why should we desire to see them saved? Why do we even care? Well, Christ commanded it for one thing. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Do it all. We're told to do that as Christians. Hey, code of conduct, do what Jesus said. Go, tell others. 
And also the eternal needs of others demand it. Why should I tell them? Oh, because they're going to go to hell if I don't. There are people in my sphere, people that are walking in my footprints in the snow, that are following where I go, that I may not even know are back there. But if I'll take the time to look back and see those over whom I have influence, if I will just stop and look who's behind me, who I have influence over, oh my goodness, I can lead those people to Jesus and eternal life. That's what we're supposed to be about, leading people to Jesus. And it doesn't matter who they are. Romans 10, 8 through 13, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how do they know unless we tell them? Part of our conduct as Christians. We should be passionate about this. That's why we send missionaries all over America, all over New Mexico, all over the world to tell people about the saving knowledge, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation through Christ. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, he loves us so. God equips his army of gifted missionaries to travel the world with that wonderful message. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit. You received power when the Holy Spirit came upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. So, what do we think about what is our attitude to love God, to love others? Oh, yeah. And that develops then into godly actions. The thoughts, the attitudes, and then the actions. What do we actually do? James, the great book about get with it, act, uh, Without actions, your faith is dead, is kind of one of the ways he puts it. Do not merely, James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what the word says. I have a number of scriptures related to our actions as Christians, and I'll not take time to read them all. They're shown in your notes, and they'll be on the screen, I think. If you, uh, I encourage you to go over them for yourselves but basically, here's what they say. First, be different from the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Don't be like the rest of the world, Christian. Make sure that your fit footprints in the snow take them to a good place. Second, shine as lights in the darkness. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Jesus is talking about in his Sermon on the Mount that we need to be lights 
in the darkness. We need to be salt. We need to be a city on a hill. We have responsibilities. We don't just have fire insurance to keep us out of hell. We have responsibilities as Christians to conduct ourselves in a Christ-like way. Remember this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. How many of you know that little chorus? Yeah. Most of you? Yeah. rest of you need to learn it. It's a good, that's a good little chorus. We, it's probably going out of style. Behave like, number three, behave like ambassadors of the king. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Um, Pastor Tim Hale used to be cabinet secretary for veteran services under uh, Governor Martinez. And one of the ways that we got to know each other uh, was when he hired me to be the director of the veterans business uh, program within the Department of Veteran Services for the state of New Mexico. And uh, I know that y'all think Tim can be many places at the same time, but the truth is he can't. And so from time to time, when he couldn't be more than one place, and when uh, Alan Martinez, his deputy, had to be off doing something else, well, uh, Secretary Hale would send me to take his place at some meeting. And one of those times, well, he sent me to End of the Mountain Gods. That was just so harsh. <laughs> he sent me to the End of the Mountain Gods for a three-day seminar with Governor Martinez and the 19 tribal governors uh, that were meeting for their annual conflab up there. And so I was his ambassador to the end of the mountain gods, to the governor and to the, the uh, tribal governors up there for three days. And you know what I had to do? I found that what I needed to do was when I was talking to the governor and when I was talking to the others that were there, I needed to make sure that what I said was the truth because if you don't, it can come back and get you. And I wanted to make sure that I represented Secretary Hale well. I didn't want somebody to come back and say, why did you send that Yahoo Joe Long up here? I wanted to make sure that it was taken care of properly. Now, that, that was one time. We, we did those kind of things more than once. But that, was the, that one was kind of the most fun. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that as an ambassador, I told the truth and that I represented the person that I was responsible to, that I represented him well, that I wouldn't embarrass him. Folks, we are ambassadors for Christ, the Scripture says. We need to make sure the things that we say for Christ are the truth and we tell the whole truth and that we represent him well. That we're not embarrassing Christ by our lifestyle, by the things that we do. That we tell it exactly the way it is and that we reflect Christ through the lifestyle that we, that we live. So behave like ambassadors of the king. Fourth, live lives pleasing to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.1, which goes back to what I was just saying. Pleasing God. Fifth, be examples to others. 1 Corinthians 4.12-16 through 16, and 1 Timothy 4.12. Sixth, 
live victoriously over temptation and in time of trouble. Oh, my goodness. Colossians 1, 11, and 12. How hard it is sometimes to live victoriously over temptation and when things are so hard. How do others see us when troubles gather around us like a fog, when we just feel so overwhelmed with our troubles? What do people see in us at those times? Do we reflect Christ in our lives? Does our conduct reflect Christ? Seventh, act humbly toward others. Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Act humbly toward others. And eighth, let God use his power in and through us to make us all he wants us to be. Philippians 2, 13 through 15. God used his power to make us what he wants us to be. So, where does this all lead us? Leads us right back to where we started. Let our conduct be based first on love of God and at the same time love on others, love for others. One final scripture, Romans 13, 12. The night is nearly over. Now, that could be talking about two different things. It could be talking about when Jesus Christ, that's, and I think that's what, it, that's what his, Paul's vision was when he was writing it, the second coming of Christ. It could be talking about the second coming. But it can also, as we mentioned at the beginning of the message, can be talking about when these old bodies give out. And for some of us, that's not going to be too far away now. When these old bodies give out and we stand face to face with Jesus Christ, either one, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. When others look at you, do they see Jesus? That's the big question for our code of conduct. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Do others see Jesus in you? Do you even know him personally? If you have come into this room today and you've never met Jesus Christ personally, you can take care of that right now. You can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can accept that he died to pay the penalty for your sins. You can ask him to come into your life and to be your Lord and Savior. And you can accept him as your personal Savior and ask him to be your master. You can do that right now. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Would you pray to receive Christ right now? Would you make him the Lord of your life would you ask Jesus to come into your life? Here's a prayer that you could pray. And these words are not magic. It's just taking you there so that you could talk to God. But you might pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. And I understand that my sin must be paid for by death. 
And that's eternal separation from you and eternity in a horrible place called hell. Right now, I accept your death as payment for my sin. Thank you for dying for me. I ask you to come into my life and to be my Savior, to be my Master. I give myself to you. I repent. I turn from my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you just prayed that prayer and invited Jesus into your life, then you are ready to commit yourself publicly to him. I always say there are four things that you need to do after you pray to receive Christ. Of course, there's one primary thing, and that is to be baptized. That's the first act of obedience. But there are four things. You need to start reading your Bible. You need to pray, talk to God on a regular basis. You need to get involved in a Bible-believing church, and this is one. And you need to tell somebody else what you have done so that you can nail it down with somebody else as a witness. But you can come up to this front, of the front of this auditorium in just a moment. And a counselor will be up here that you can talk to and explain that you have just prayed to receive Christ. And they'll talk to you about next steps to take. Dear Jesus, I pray that during these next few moments, if there are people here who have prayed to receive you, that they will take that next step. Come right on up here to the front and talk to a counselor about next steps to take as they give their lives to you. Father, if there are Christians that need to recommit their lives to you, that they will do that, whether it's where they're standing or where they, or, or they need to make a, a, a come-forward commitment, or maybe no, those that just need to pray and need to uh, come forward to pray, whatever it is, we lay this time at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, would you please stand? And I'll ask Christians just to keep on praying that God will work during these next few minutes of pray, of, of commitment time that God will work and his hand will be seen. Just keep on praying. And if you have a commitment to make to Christ, this now is the time to make that commitment. Perhaps you've already received Christ at some time in the past, but you've never been scripturally baptized, baptized by immersion as a sign of what has happened in your life. Then I invite you to come right now and you can be a part of the baptism service that we'll have next week. If this is the time, then you make that commitment. have a closing prayer counselors will still be here after the prayer if you want to come up without being in front of all these people and we will be glad to talk to you about your next steps of what you need to do father I pray now as this service comes to a, co a conclusion that you will continue to work through the power of the Holy Spirit help us to be 
Christians that are serious about the Christian code of conduct in our lives. We love you so. Thank you for loving us. Go with us now as we leave this place that we will continue to be committed to you and move in the hearts of those that need your special touch, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.